The study of God. This is week two. I was prepared to preach this message last week, um, and uh, that didn't happen. So we're going to preach it tonight. I'm going to then continue this series uh, next week as well. I'll speak in next week as well. And then, um, just so everybody knows, I'm speaking this Sunday morning and the following Sunday morning. And uh, so I'll be speaking a lot over the next few weeks here to you guys. I hope that you're uh, okay with that, but we'll have some fun together. Does that sound good? So a little bit of recap of what we talked about two weeks ago. If you weren't here or you were, you were here. But this is kind of the recap as we talked about um, God's holiness, if you remember that. So we're studying God. We looked at his holiness first. And essentially, holiness isn't technically the kind of holiness that we think as fleshly human beings that walk this earth. When we think about holiness, we think about a sexual purity. We think about, you know, keeping our eyes from seeing the unclean, our ears from hearing the, the things they shouldn't hear. We're trying to be holy, right? But holiness for God is, is not the really the holiness that we try to live by. His holiness can be defined like this, complete. He is complete. He is entirely whole. He is always perfectly whole, complete, entirely, all the time. So when the Bible says God is love, it means he can never, ever differentiate from love. He's entirely love all the time, 100% of the time, never gets Anything other than love from him. He is holy and perfect. And because of his holiness, he's approachable. But many people think because God is so holy, how can I approach him? Because I'm so unholy, right? I'm so fractured. I'm so broken. I'm so different from one hour to the next even at times. But because God is holy and perfect, that means he's approachable. He's always completely approachable. He's always open. His throne room is always open. He's holy. So when the angels fly around his throne and another character trait of God is revealed to them that they have never seen before and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. They're saying perfectly, perfect, complete, entirely whole in all his way. It is is God almighty. I can't believe it. You see, He's never, he will not ever be anything other than what he says he is. He's approachable for us. So that's what we talked about last week. I actually want to talk about it again. But tonight we're going to talk about his power. And I want to encourage you tonight that every single person in this room is a theologian. A theology is broken down and it's a fancy one word, but it's broken down into the study of God. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a churchgoer, you've studied God. If you've read your Bible, you've studied God. If you did a devotional, you studied God. You're a theologian. But what we don't want is bad theologians. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna help your theology tonight. So you're not a bad theologian. So you are a theologian. You might say, Oh no, I'm no theologian, you know, I'm no theologian. But yes, you are. You are a theologian. You might be a bad one. It's possible you might be a good one. You might have been a bad one in the past. You might have had weird views of God, right? You thought God was one way, and it affected your prayer life. It affected your worship. It affected how you treated your people in your life. It affected everything you did. And then you begin to realize, wait a second, I had a, I had a skewed idea of really who God is. Wait a second, he's a loving father? Whoa, okay. 
So that's new to me. Okay, and then you begin to see God differently, and it actually begins to affect your everyday walk as you go about this world. So let's open with reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This is Paul speaking to us. Thank God for Paul, but listen to what he says. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So much in this. But thank God for Paul, who was so full of God, so full of the Holy Spirit, had heavenly visions that he could write such deep theological depths for us. This is, this is wisdom straight from heaven. This is God-breathed for all of us today. We'll dive into this. But we're going to make our theology fun tonight. All right? So I believe that there are actually four mistaken views of God that we see. Four. They play out with most people. One of these four or a couple of these four could have been you at one point or possibly could even be you tonight. But that's okay. Because God loves us right here, right now, and he's given you an opportunity by his mercy and grace to hear the truth. Amen? So the first mistaken view of God that we see in people is people will worship something other than God. We worship something other than God, and we call this idol worship. And how do you know if you have idol worship in your life? Because it's everywhere. And, and, and eventually, this is how you know you have idol worship, is whatever it is that you love dearly or hold highly, esteem wonderfully in your life, it could become an idol, and eventually your idol worship will lead to disdain and anger towards whatever it is that you're worshiping. Eventually, this is how you know you're in idol worship is the fruit of worshiping something other than God will always lead to a disdain or even anger toward the thing that you love. If you hold anything above God, the fruit of that is anger and disdain towards it. It's what happens. It's happened. It ha every story in the Bible eventually leads down that path. Even still true today. As a matter of fact, they say, 
So celebrities and actors and actresses and athletes are worshipped. And did you know that whenever a celebrity is is stalked or or tried to, tries to be murdered by another person, when they dive into why did you why are you going after this person stalking this celebrity? You'll come to find out that they once absolutely loved them, and that love turned to anger at some point and it, hate, and they couldn't stand their hatred towards them, and it actually turned into a stalking and an eventual attempt to murder the celebrity or the athlete or whoever it may be. But it started with love, idol worship. So think about what may be in your life that you could be holding above God. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. Why will it turn to anger? Is because they will let you down. It could be your job. Why will it turn to anger? Because it will eventually let you down. Now, why will that, that will never happen with God if you truly know who God is because he's holy and he's awesome and he's powerful and he loves you, you see, and he created you and he knows what's best for you. So there's a first mistaken view of God. Number two is you worship God other than as he is, you see. And this expression of faith and worship can actually be seen in dozens of different ways. And you've actually probably grown as a Christian as years have gone on and realized you actually at one point had wrong thoughts and ideas about God along the way. And you believed in God, but you didn't know who God was. You stereotyped him as something other than he was. And because of your stereotype about God, you refused to go to church. You refused to be a Christian. Because if you're stereotyped about God, you refused to bow your knee to him. Because you, you created a God that wasn't real, but in your mind you convinced yourself, this is who God is. He's just an angry, old, white-bearded man who's just shooting lightning bolts at us and making my life difficult. I would never serve a God like that. You've created a God that's not, that's not who he is. Right? So you've worshiped God other than as he is. God is, you think, oh, God, we'll go in more into it. I won't go in right now. But third, third mistaken view of God is God is evil. So you believe in a God, but he's evil. Bad things happen in the world, and it's God's fault. It's a mistaken view of God. The fourth mistaken view of God is God is irrelevant. God is maybe even dead. So you believed there is a God, but he's not involved. You believe there was a God, but he's not alive anymore. I believe the idea of God is dead is a, is a really idiotic idea because you believed he once existed and created everything and then somehow died? That's weird. That's a really self-indulgent, nasty view of who God is, but I believe that some of the greatest graffiti in the world can be actually found in the men's bathroom at a Christian college. It's just ideas of who God is on the wall. None of them are ever correct. You see something like this uh, uh, in a bathroom, sometimes at a Christian college is God is dead, signed Thomas, 
And underneath it, it says, who is Thomas sign God? <laughs> well, neither of those explain God at all. God is not dead. Thomas, who is Thomas? Just because Thomas has breath and says something doesn't mean it's real. And then God says, who is Thomas? Well, that's not true at all either. Because God knows who Thomas is. So both these theologians who are studying the Bible are dumb and incorrect. But yet they think they're telling the truth at some point in there. There's little bits of truth in there, right? Both these statements are untrue and predict of God falsely. Some people think when it comes to oh, God is irrelevant, he might be dead, he's, 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 uh, he doesn't know everything going on. Some people think God, um, uh, you know, under this irrelevant idea that God is like a relic, he's old, he was once powerful. But now he's an old man, totally senile, crazy, doing weird, crazy things. Can't remember where he put his, you know, coffee and he can, he can barely keep his eyes open. He's so old. He just sleeps all day. Some people think just how this is God, this is how God is right now. People might think, you know, he could have created the world and worked miracles in the past, but he also couldn't have done any of that either. I'm not quite sure. But if he ever did do any of this, he doesn't really do it anymore, I don't think. Probably not. No, he doesn't do it anymore. People think God maybe just doesn't even know what's going on. He can't even remember what he's doing. He probably doesn't even know me. Why would I ever stop to pray? How is he going to remember my prayer? Out of seven and a half billion people, how is this possible? It can't be that. It can't be possible. Just because you don't think it's possible doesn't mean it's true, right? So we got to understand who God is. And all this will lead to God being dead means he's weak. God being old means he's weak. God being a relic means he's weak. God being a senile old man means he's weak. A weak old man who can't stand up out of his chair. A weak old man who can't feed himself. A weak person who's, who's unattached, uh, unknowing of what's going on in this world, was once powerful, not not anymore. All this leads to the fact that God isn't powerful. And because of that, I have to stand up and do something myself. This is where the problems occur. This is it. This is where the problems occur. Because when we forget about God's power and we stop talking about God's power, then even our worship of him becomes stupid. You see, because if we sing, if we don't think God is powerful, why would we stop and sing about how great and awesome and powerful is he? Okay? So we must always understand that God is powerful. So when we sing about him, he's worthy to be sung about. He's worthy to be, to be, to be praised tonight. Amen, church? You see, because without power, if God has no power, then, he, then God is a religious artifact. Without power, we lose the fear of God. And the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But you will never fear something that isn't powerful. I don't fear my children. I fear my wife. Powerful. 
I, I, I don't fear something that's not powerful. Why would I stop? Why would I fear it? I wouldn't. But if God is powerful and totally in control and has the ability to determine where my soul spends eternity and will at the end judge everything I ever thought, said, did, wanted to do, but didn't do, will judge me entirely, I stop and say, that is I'm fearful of that. I'm gonna live, I want to live right, Lord. Help me. I repent. I say I'm sorry now. I want to repent now because I don't want judgment later. See, God is powerful. Amen, church? And if God is without power, then he's a religious artifact. We will lose fear of him. And also, we begin to think that we have to fix everything ourselves because God can't do it or he isn't going to do it or he does not interested in doing it. Or he just can't do it. So I have to fix everything myself. Have you ever been on people like this? Uh-uh. You don't want to attach yourself to these people. You'll be, you'll be stuck in a, in, a, in a workaholics environment full of grief and fear and anxiety and worry and stress. And you'll never find peace. And you won't find a moment of rest for your soul at all. You'd, if, you ever, if, you find a, if you're looking for a partner and they're like this, run away. Run away. No, no, no. Because God is in control, not me. Now, this is where witchcraft becomes so important for us because witchcraft is actually broken down into simply this. This is the reason why people get into witchcraft. It's because it is actually a source of power. This is why they get into it. Why would anybody want to worship the devil? They are seeking power because the devil is powerful. And they thought and believed at some point that the devil is powerful. And if I can tap into this source of power, I myself can become more powerful. This is why people get into witchcraft. They try to attain a power because they don't see God as powerful. Talk to any person, I'm telling you right now, talk to any person who's come out of witchcraft, and they will tell you they desired power and found out the devil was powerful and could actually use his power for their advantage because the devil will actually give you things in this world if you promise to serve him. Money, cars, fame, fortune. Go ahead. Just do a little research on it. People will say, I became a millionaire when I started serving the devil. I met, I met celebrities everywhere. They were all around me because I started serving the devil. I, had more pop, I was more popular than ever before because I started serving the devil. But they came out of witchcraft because they realized God was more powerful than the devil. That's why most people come out of heavy witchcraft is they actually realize they'll come up against the force of a Christian. Yes, go ahead, look it up. They'll, they'll try to astral project in their room to control neighborhoods, atmospheres, workplaces, buildings. They'll hit a street with Christians on it. They cannot perform their deeds, their deeds of witchcraft on the street. They cannot get people sick or kill people or do things of that nature because they can do that stuff. They tap into a powerful source from hell below. The demons will work with them to kill, steal, and destroy people's lives. I'm telling you. But they'll come across a neighborhood full of Christians and they cannot perform their nasty spells because the Christians are more powerful. 
because they spent the time in the morning praying and reading the Bible and they covered their house with prayer. And when they realize that God is more powerful, they'll turn away from their witchcraft and they'll turn to God. Amen? This is a great way that people come out of witchcraft. A man recently, this is a true story, a man recently went to a funeral. And while he was at the funeral, there was many people there. And this girl came up to him and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, I am. How could you tell? She goes, well, I'm a witch. And there's just a big white light aura all over you. He goes, really? She goes, yep. Every single time I come up to a person like you, I, I lose my power. And she laughed. And he goes, well, what's so funny? He goes, she goes, none of you Christians know how powerful you actually are. Sent chills down his spine. We have the power. We have it. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Stop walking around weak. Stop walking around thinking your prayers don't do anything. You can move mountains because Jesus said you could. Amen? And if we keep control and we understand we serve a powerful God and we are powerful too, we realize the enemy can't touch us. The enemy can't touch our souls. That's why the devil hates us so much. He hates who he is. He hates where he is. And because of that, he's trying to take as many people down with him as possible. And when he finds out your soul is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ and there's absolutely nothing he can do about it, it makes him angry. But you have the power, my friends. Use your prayers. Operate powerfully. Have a confidence about you knowing that the enemy can't touch you for eternity. Amen? We are powerful. And I wish we understood how powerful we actually were. I wish we would just walk around praying more often, prayer walking, claiming, claiming these neighborhoods for Jesus Christ. Amen? 1 Samuel 15, 23, it's an interesting verse. But it makes sense when you think about this. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Why is rebellion as sinful as witchcraft? Because rebellion is an effort to bypass natural, powerful authority, just like witchcraft is doing. They're bypassing natural, powerful authority of God, and they're harnessing a powerful authority from below. And rebellion is an effort to bypass natural authority, parents' authority, teachers' authority, right? They're rebellious. They're bypassing natural authority. And it's just like witchcraft. They say to themselves, I will access my own plans a different way to subvert another authority I have deemed as irrelevant in my life. You see, that's why rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It's the exact same thing. They look at the authority and they say, you're irrelevant. I subvert you and I do my own thing. Forget you. Oh, the rebellion. Smack that rebellion. I just get out of here. I don't like that. But it's like witchcraft. That's what the witches do. You see, that's why. They do the same thing. They subvert the authority of God and they harness another power from below. If they would understand how powerful God is, they would go to that access first. Amen, church? Amen. Blaming God for the evil and wrong in your life is wrong, too. We don't do this. God is not evil. God is never wrong. But people think if he can fix every situation in my life and he doesn't, then I'm going to blame him for all the wrong in my life. He's evil. Now I'm angry at God because He's not the God that I imagined. <laughs> He's not the God that I imagined. 
You imagine a God that wasn't according to Scripture. He was not the God you find in the Scriptures, but this is the God you have created in your own head. But you blame God for all the evil and all the wrong in your life and in the world. You don't blame God for the evil and the wrong in the world. You blame the people who are doing the evil. We live in a fallen world. And the Bible actually says the devil has power over this earth. He's got power over this earth. And because of that, he convinces people to do evil things. If they only truly knew that they were a child of God, they would never do the evil that they do. But it's because of the devil, and it's because of a fallen world, and it's because of sin, and it's because of evil people in this world that evil things happen, and wrong things take place, and it's not God's fault. Hmm. If God is dead, then we find idols to replace our worship. We begin to create a God in our own image, and religions are created from men who believe God is dead. Religions are created from men who believe God is dead. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5 says, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. Religious people who reject the power that can make them godly. I believe people are here, even at church tonight, to meet with God. You came here to meet with God tonight, didn't you? And I believe it's our responsibility as a staff to make sure people meet with God and experience the power of God. You walk out of the hair saying, man, God is powerful. I love this Greek word. We've preached it some, but it's this Greek word called koinonia. Ever heard this word before? Koinonia, and it's just translated fellowship. But it's an important word in the Bible. It's used a lot in the New Testament. The early church fathers were always using the word koinonia, this idea of a godly fellowship, this idea of, of this, this kind of this fellowship that creates this, this power and this synergy and this energy among the children of God. But if you just, if you take God out of it, you create a, a like, just, you just create a country club. It's a koinonia of death. It, it is. It's all it is. It's just a fellowship of death. It's just a country club. It's just a gossip hour. It's just, it doesn't mean anything if you take God's power out of the church service. Maybe you've been to a church service like that. You're just thinking, this is just, this is just a, this is just a club and I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't, I don't feel this. We must build from the truth that God is alive. We must build from the truth that God is I am. We must build from the truth that he's a miracle-working, prayer-answering, all-powerful, all-sufficient, absolutely amazing, totally in control God. Amen? You know, some would argue that since evil is in the world, God is tired. Since evil is in the world, God is weary. Since evil is in the world, God is powerless and God is dead. But that's not true. That's not true at all. God has given all of us free will. What are we doing with our free will? Some are making the flowers bloom. Others are treading through the garden, destroying everything in their path. Free will, though, because of free will, proves that we serve a God of love. Because only a cruel master would would turn us into robots and force us to love him and serve him and do things for him. But that's not love at all. Go ahead. I I dare you to go home and and tell your husband, make me love you. Beat me until I fall in love. Force me to clean the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that really proves you love me so much. 
go ahead, just do it. And if I don't do it, just twist my arm behind my back. And, ah! That's what people want God to do. Make them, make them do it, God. He could do it. But that's not love. Love is saying, a free choice. How do, how do you know somebody loves you? They freely give their love to you. And because of free will, it's a perfectly, it's a perfect plan from God that his children would love him freely without control of the puppet master making them do it. Because God is not a puppet master who's forcing us to do anything at all. We can reject him, we can accept him, we can serve him, we can hate him, we can choose to do whatever we want, and because of our choices, there's evil in this world. Or because of our choices, there's good in this world. It's our choice. It's up to us. It is not up to God. It's up to us. we got to stop blaming God. But listen to what, this is a great, what I'm going to read to you, a story in the Bible here, is really a wonderful story that sums up Great theology of God. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the, into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. They think they know God's powerful, isn't that? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Look it. But even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now listen, many people don't have this theology. They don't have this study of God. They're saying, our God is powerful. He can rescue us and he can save us. But even if he doesn't, I'm never bowing to you. See, most people have an idea of God as God is powerful and God is awesome. Yes, he is. But he better do it. Or else I'm out of this church. Or else I quit this whole thing. Right? But that wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's statement. They were saying, doesn't really matter what happens to me. God is God no matter what. He's able to do it even if he doesn't choose to or whatever the case may be. My God is still amazing. You see their testimony here? You see their theology? It doesn't match our theology. They weren't basing their their studies of God on their feelings. They weren't basing their studies of God on the outcome. They were basing the study of God that he is holy and perfectly perfect, never changing, awesome, powerful, on the throne, no matter what happens to them. We are but dust who passes through the years quickly. Who are we to say who God is? We'll meet our maker one day. Don't yell it. Don't spend your days yelling at him. He is amazing. See, their God, their God that they served is the God that we still serve today. Their theology didn't change based upon their circumstances. And I would say to you tonight that I would challenge you and encourage you, don't let your theology change based upon your circumstances. God is God no matter what. Amen? The world is confused. You see, God is not. The world is full of evil. God is not. But because the world is confused, because the world is evil, because humanity is confused and everything is going on, the fruit of that is evident in our world today. Sickness, death, and everything that comes with evil is part of our world. Evil continues to exist, but the Bible says God makes all things work together for good. 
because he is powerful. See, this is what actually makes the devil so angry. You might be thinking to yourself, why is the devil just so angry? Well, this is one of the reasons why the devil is so angry at God, is because no matter how much evil the devil spreads, God will continue to work all things for good, and God's perfectly perfect plan will prevail no matter how much evil or negativity happens in this world. God will win. God reigns. Always. All the time. How great is our God. Right, church? Romans 8, 28. I'll read it to you. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So why doesn't God just fix it all now? Right? Why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he just just come back and fix it all right now? It actually proves a loving, merciful, forgiving God. He is giving us people more time to believe. There's still people who haven't believed. Why, is he have, why hasn't he returned yet? Why doesn't he just come and fix it all? Why doesn't he come and rule and reign? Why doesn't he just come and just throw the devil in, the, in that lake of fire for a thousand years? Why doesn't he just do it? Because he's being gracious and merciful and kind and gentle and loving and caring for those who have not yet believed. See, we say, Lord, come, Lord, come, Lord, come, because we believe. But the ones who curse his name right now and, and don't like him and don't believe in him, He's being gracious and kind to them, giving them time to believe. And so we, it proves the mercy of God. Let me end here with a couple more things. True story. There was a, a man in India, an Indian man, of course, who served a Hindu god, which required a, a child sacrifice of honor for a blessing. And this Indian man grabbed his nephew and killed him and then buried the boy's body under his house. The police arrested this man, and he faced trial. And at the end of the trial, the jury acquitted him based upon his religious views. And the Christians in the community were in an absolute uproar, as they should have been, right? And a pastor from the U.S. went over to them. He was actually in the area when the jury gave the verdict and acquitted the man of murdering his nephew. The pastor was with the church and he said, and he was able to calm the Christians down and the Indian Christians yelled, there was no justice. And the pastor responded, well, there will be. Amen, church? And then the Christians would yell, he deserves death. And the pastor said, he will die. Right? And then they yelled, but he got away with it. And the pastor said, he, nobody gets away with anything. God will make all things right. God withholds his power, but he is not impotent. There is always 100% divine justice for everybody. And as God holds back his power, we can resolve within ourselves to say, God is awesome. And I'll read this verse to you one more time. Daniel 3.18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And what's your testimony tonight? Can you resolve within yourselves tonight? Oh, Lord, even if he doesn't heal me, I'll still worship God. Even if I don't get that promotion, I'm still going to worship God. Even if something bad happens to me, I'm still going to worship. Even if I fail, I'm still going to worship. Even if it hurts, I'm still going to worship. Even if, 
whatever it may be for you, I am not bowing to this world. I want to always end with a worship song together. And Minister Rob's going to come up. We're going to sing an oldie but a goodie. How great is our God. I think it's a good song that goes with our message tonight. And I always want to end these, these, these nights, this series, with just worshiping with you. Can we do that? All right, so let's stand to our feet. Let's, let's proclaim it. Let's, let's, let's strive within ourselves. Let's make a res- resolve within ourselves that God is awesome and he is great. So let's worship a little bit, church. Let's go. Come on. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice